So this is our fourth winter in Alaska, and um, uh, I know people who live in the interior who tell me that this isn't Alaska, this is the banana belt, so um, I don't know anything about Alaska. But when we first came up here, we were, we were concerned about, you know, living in that strange part of the country, the part that's not connected to all the other states, and it's just down in the corner by, by Hawaii, you know, that that part of the country. We weren't sure what it would be like living here because Alaska has a reputation, you know, the reputation of, you know, kind of uh, the frozen ice planet of Hoth with the uh, tauntauns and uh, the, the well, maybe I've got Star Wars in the mind, but, but, um, but Alaska has this reputation to people who live outside and you, you don't know exactly what to expect when you get here. But what people were telling us when we first arrived is they said, you don't worry about the cold, you worry about the light. And you know that's been our experience so far. You know uh, we've had we've had like I say this is our fourth winter. We've had two that that at least I would consider cold. Maybe you sourdoughs would say, oh, this isn't cold, but but I consider them crisp. You know if it's below about minus five, I consider that a cold day. So um, there, there were some cold days in in our experience here, but it hasn't really been the cold that has bothered us. It has been the light because we've had kind of two colder winters and two warmer winters. But they've all been dark. You know, here in Alaska in particular, you have that, you have that great summer where, you know, you can't even sleep because it's light all the time and you don't go to bed anyway because you forgot that it's, it's getting on toward bedtime. So you have the summer, but then, you know, the, the, the fireweed turn purple and you go, oh no. And then they, then they, the leaves start to turn and they get speckles and you go, oh no. And, and so about the time that the kids are going back to school, fall is starting. Really. I mean, not just school calendar fall, but real fall. And, you know, you have snow by the, by the end of September and then the days are starting to get shorter and it gets shorter and shorter. And pretty soon you're in the situation we're in now. This is, I want to show you a picture I took a couple of years ago. Um, it was at the corner of, um, this is C Street and Diamond at noon. And I was trying to figure out what color is that traffic light <laughs> at noon. And I have no idea. So it was, you know, finally I noticed they have one over there in front of Costco. You can look to kind of cheat. But, but that's, that's Alaska, right? That's, that's our, that's our noonday sun in Alaska. And I've got another picture here. This is a parking lot outside. So this is noon. Um, we had some fog that day. And let me show you what what uh, sunset looks like. <laughs> it's this, it's still looking south. And so so this is kind of what what Alaska is like. We have we have this this uh, winter that gets worse and worse. It's uh, the days get shorter and shorter. And um, bit by bit, we feel like like it's just going to be dark all the time. You know, I appreciate how at the end of the the spring, you know, about the same time kids are getting out of school. Uh, everybody else is getting out of the house. We've got the, the cabin fever or the seasonal affective disorder, whatever it is, but it makes us explode outside because we just can't stand being indoors anymore by the time spring finally comes. But we're not there right now. Right now, it's winter, and it's just hard. It's the hardest thing about the winters here is the light. And so we've, we've had to come to grips with that. And I, I don't say all this, I don't rehearse all this to bring you down, I, I, maybe it is, um, but maybe it's the fact that there's no light that's bringing you down. You know, get one of those little special bulbs. Um, but, but the reason I tell you this is because this actually gives us a unique ability to understand our scripture passage today. Because 
it tells us what it was like in the time before Christ. Last week, if you were here last week, we were looking at the time of a, of a man named Ezra. The, the book of Ezra is written about 500 BC, and it was, he was one of the governors who led the people of God back from the cap- Babylonian captivity. They had, uh, a couple of, uh, uh, centuries before that, God had told them, you're not acting differently. I, I made you my own people that was set apart so that the world could see what God really wanted his people to be like. But you're chasing after the same false gods. You're committing the same atrocities that your neighbors are doing. You're indistinguishable from the people around you. And so I'm not going to put up with that. So I'm going to allow one of the neighboring countries to conquer you the way that they do all these other countries. So you're going to go into, you're going to go into, um, exile in Babylon. And we saw how that happened. And then last week we saw what happened when God relented and let them come home to the promised land from, um, Babylon about 500 BC. So we looked at that last week. And for a little bit of time, about a hundred years, God was still speaking through prophets. And so uh, a number of prophetic books uh, were written during that next century until about 400 B.C. But it's been four centuries, you know, four centuries. That's like pilgrims in Plymouth Rock time frame. So four centuries have gone by and not a word from God. It's just sitting here wondering, where is God? And, and, you know, the thing is, it would be one thing if they were, if they were wicked and, and do, still doing those terrible things, but really they didn't. One of the amazing things about the Babylonian captivity is that Israel went there a lot like, a lot like the surrounding nations. They, they were a pagan culture too much of the time. They chased after the false gods. They went to Babylon, and when they came back, they were really the world's first truly monotheistic society. They believed in just one God. And that didn't change. They weren't able to ever run their affairs again. They were conquered first by the Babylonians and then later the Persians and then the Greeks and the Romans. For for the next 500 years, right up to the time of Christ and, and, and afterwards, they were under the thumb of foreign countries that were run by by uh, pagan societies, by polytheistic uh, uh, societies that worship multiple gods. But Israel never again was tempted as a society to chase after those gods. In, in about 200 B.C., 175, something like that, one of the Greek emperors, a guy named Antiochus, came to Jerusalem. He slaughtered a pig on the temple uh, altar, and he, he erected a statue in the temple in Jerusalem to the Greek god Zeus. And what a lot of people would have done is they would have said, okay, that's the new normal, you know, meet the new boss, uh, you know, that's the way the wind is blowing, so we're going to start doing whatever the new boss tells us to do. But Israel did not. Israel as a society said, we're done with pagan gods. And, you know, individual people, they, they, they sin, they, they fall short, but as a society, Israel was faithful to God. In fact, Zechariah, the person we read about in our story, was part of the, the priesthood that for four centuries since God has spoken, they went into the temple every day and they lit the incense, they offered the sacrifices, they continued the worship of God as a ritual, wondering, where is God? Where is God? And I think some of us can relate to that. Some of us 
have that same question. Where is God? Where is God right now? I haven't heard from God for so long. I feel like I'm just in a dry part of my life. I can remember a time when I felt like I was closer to God, but it's been so long since I had any sense that God was a part of my life. And maybe if that describes you, maybe you can relate to what Zechariah was thinking about. You're, you're, you're going through the rituals. You're, you're doing the things that used to work. You're coming into the temple and you're lighting incense, except for us, it's coming to church on Sunday. You're here. But where is God? For some of us, it's not a question of where God is now. It's a question of where was God before, when I needed him. You know, Zechariah and his wife had hoped that they would have children. They had hoped that God would bless them with a family. But year after year after year, God did not grant what they had hoped for, what they had prayed for. Year after year, God did not do what they had hoped so much for. And maybe you can relate to the same thing. You're saying, where was God when I was going through that difficulty? Where was God when I was in that crisis at work? Where was God when my loved one's health failed? Where was God when I needed him? When I needed God to show up, where was God? If you can if you can put yourself in that place, if you can remember being in that place, that's pretty much where Zechariah is. Zechariah is a priest. He's gone to the temple. But when an angel of God shows up, all he can do is say, "Yeah, you know, how can I believe in this God? How can I how can I really believe he's going to do anything? Because it's been 4 centuries since he did anything. He didn't do anything when I needed him to do something in my life." The angel tells him, you're going to have a baby. Your prayers are going to be answered. And he says, yeah, but how can I believe that? Well, he said that to the wrong person. He said it to, to, to Gabriel. Gabriel kind of swells up and says, do you know who I work for? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. There's a throne room in heaven. And in throne rooms, most people kneel. But I am at the very top of the hierarchy. I get to stand in the presence of God. And I just told you that God is acting. And you said, but he's been silent so long. How can I believe it? So if silence is something you're worried about, I'm going to give you some silence, except it's going to be on your end. Gabriel says, you won't speak again till the child is born. And so he doesn't. For nine months, he doesn't make a sound. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. She has a baby. People are saying, well, what are you going to name him? Zechariah is no help. He hasn't said a word in nine months. But Zechariah says, well, give me something to write on. So he writes down, his name is John. And when Zechariah does that, his mouth opens and he says this prophecy. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he says this prophecy. It's known as the Benedictus because for a long time, the Bibles were written in Latin, and in the Latin translation of the Bible, the first word of what he says is Benedictus. So, uh, blessed be Benedictus, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. It's interesting to me, he's talking about this stuff as if it's already happened. 
He's saying, he's saying God has already done this. Jesus will not be born for six more months. But Zechariah is saying, I forgot. You know, I thought that God had forgotten. But it wasn't God who forgot. God never forgot. God made these promises. God um, talked about his servant David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old. He he uh, showed the mercy promised to our ancestors, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. God made commitments. God made promises. And God keeps promises. And God didn't forget. But I forgot. So he says, I forgot that when God says something, you might as well start talking about it in the past tense because it's going to happen. So he says, he has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. And he talks about God's faithfulness, that this is part of something that God has been working out, and that those four centuries of silence somehow played a part in that. He doesn't have any understanding of how, but he says the covenant was that God would not forget us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, the oath he has sworn to our ancestor Abraham. What was the oath? And this is really the center of what he's got to say. This is what God has promised to grant us, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. I'm going to come back to fear in a second, but what does it mean to serve him? He's saying, he's saying the reality is, we all serve something. There's something that we we say is the ultimate. You know, some of you are thinking about that for Christmas. You're hoping you're going to get that shiny new thing for Christmas that's going to be awesome. And it will be awesome. It'll it'll make your day. It'll well, some sometimes you get junk for Christmas, right? You know, but but you know the thing you're thinking of, you're hoping you're going to get for Christmas. And it will be great. But in 10 years you won't remember. Certainly not in 20. And it won't be the thing you mention on your deathbed. No matter how great that shiny new thing you're going to get for Christmas is, it's not going to be something you think about on your deathbed. Because it's not an ultimate. It's not the ultimate thing. And what Zechariah is saying is, God knows that the things here on earth cannot be our ultimate. They will, they will lose their luster. They, they cannot be the sort of thing you trust in. So he says, God has made a plan that will allow us to finally put him back where he needs to be, where nothing else can possibly serve. Nothing else can be God. Nothing else can be in the position of God. So he says that is God's plan to make it possible. But he knows we can't do that, right? Uh, some Some of us know what it's like to say, well, I know that God is the ultimate, but... I can't go to God right now because I've got guilty hands. I've got guilty eyes. I've got guilty feet. I can't come before God, so I have to settle for these lesser things. And he says the plan of God is to take care of that too by um, by giving us forgiveness. He says that the baby, John, will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He says that God is acting not just to be in that great place that nothing else can be, but to make it possible for us to be unafraid. He says that we may serve God without fear. And so our feet will be guided into the way of peace. That is what God's plan is. And if Zechariah was talking to us today, if Zechariah was talking to us and we're saying, yeah, but where was God when I needed him? Where was God 
when the wheels came off? Where was God when I was desperate? If we're saying, where is God right now? The things I'm dealing with at work. I'm not even sure if there will be a work. Where is God right now? Zechariah would tell us what he learned. He would say, look to the east. Because dawn is coming. You know, tomorrow is the solstice. And it's going to be nine seconds shorter than today. But the next day, the 22nd will be two seconds longer. And that's subtle. We can miss it. If you just go outside, you know, you take those photographs in the parking lot, you're not going to see it. But it's still true. And Zechariah would say, hang in there. Don't forget God is faithful. By the end of the month, the days will be 10 minutes longer. God is faithful. Look to the east. Yes. It's not, it's not daylight. It's not, it's not noon. But it's dawn. We can begin to see glimmers of light. And in Christ, we know that God will deal with our problems. That God will guide us into the path of peace. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that you are faithful, that you keep covenant. That when we forget you, when we wonder, where did you go? When we eventually conclude, well, you must just have left us behind. You must have gone on and done something else. When we wonder if you're even there, you are faithful. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to look to these, to look to the coming of Christ, to remind us that you are a God who keeps covenant, who shows mercy, who wants us to have you in your proper place so that we can have everything else in its proper place. We pray you'd give us wisdom to look to the east, Lord, and trust in your coming coming day. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.